This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On Nothing and Kindred Subjects by Hilaire Belloc Section 23 On a Man and His Burden once there was a man who lived in a house at the corner of a wood with an excellent landscape upon every side a village about one mile off and a pleasant stream flowing over chalk and full of trout for which he used to fish the man was perfectly happy for some little time fishing for the trout contemplating the shapes of clouds in the sky and singing all the songs he could remember in turn under the high wood until one day he found to his annoyance that there was, strapped to his back, a burden. However, he was by nature of a merry mood, and began thinking of all the things he had read about burdens. He remembered an uncle of his called Jonas, ridiculous name, who had pointed out that burdens especially, if born in youth, strengthen the upper deltoid muscle, expanded the chest, and give to the whole figure an erect and graceful poise. He remembered also reading in a book upon country sports that the bearing of heavy weights is an excellent training for all other forms of exercise and produces a manly and resolute carriage very useful in golf, cricket, and colonial wars. He could not forget his mother's frequent remark that a burden nobly endured gave firmness and at the same time elasticity to the character, and altogether he went about his way taking it as kindly as he could but I will not deny that it annoyed him. In a few days he discovered that during sleep when he lay down the burden annoyed him somewhat less than at other times, though the memory of it never completely left him. He would therefore sleep for a very considerable number of hours every day, sometimes retiring to rest as early as nine o'clock, nor rising till noon of the next day. He discovered also that rapid and loud conversation adventure, wine, beer, the theatre, cards, travel, and so forth, made him forget his burden for the time being, and he indulged himself perhaps to excess in all these things. But when the memory of his burden would return to him, after each indulgence, whether working in his garden, or fishing for trout, or on a lonely walk, he began reluctantly to admit that, on the whole, he felt uncertainty and doubt as to whether the burden was really good for him. In this unpleasing attitude of mind, he had the good fortune one day to meet with an excellent divine who inhabited a neighboring parish, and was possessed of no less a sum than twenty-nine thousand pounds. This ecclesiastic, seeing his whilom jocund face, fretted with the marks of care, put a hand gently upon his shoulder and said, my young friend, I easily perceive that you are put out by this burden which you bear upon your shoulders. I am indeed surprised that one so intelligent should take such a matter so ill. What? Do you not know that burdens are the common lot of humanity? I myself, though you may little suspect it, bear a burden far heavier than yours, though true it is invisible and not strapped on my shoulders by gross material thongs of leather, as is yours. The worthy squire of our parish bears one, too, and with what manliness, what ease, what abnegation! Believe me, these other burdens of which you never hear, and which no man can perceive, 
are for that very reason the heaviest and the most trying. Come, play the man. Little by little you will find that the patient sustenance of this burden will make you something greater, stronger, nobler than you were, and you will notice as you grow older that those who are most favored by the unseen bear the heaviest of such impediments. With these last words recited in solemn and, as it were, an inspired voice, the hierarch lifted an immense stone from the roadway and placed it on the top of the burden, so as considerably to add to its weight, and went on his way. The irritation of the man was already considerable when his family called upon him, his mother, that is, his younger sister, his cousin Jane, and her husband, and after they had eaten some of his food and drunk some of his beer, they all sat out in the garden with him and talked to him somewhat in this manner. We really cannot pity you much, for ever since you were a child, whatever evil has happened to you has been your own doing, and probably this is no different from the rest. What can have possessed you to get putting upon your back an ugly, useless, and dangerous great burden? You have no idea how utterly out of fashion you seem stumbling about the roads like a clodhopper and going up and down stairs as though you were on the treadmill. For the Lord's sake, at least, have the decency to stay at home and not to disgrace the family with your miserable appearance. Having said so much, they rose, and adding to his burden a number of leaden weights they had brought with them, went on their way and left him to his own thoughts. You may well imagine that by this time the irritation of the man had gone almost past bearing. He would quarrel with his best friends, and they in revenge would put something more onto the burden, till he felt he would break down. It haunted his dreams, and filled most of his waking thoughts, and did all those things which burdens have been discovered to do since the beginning of time, until at last, though very reluctantly, he determined to be rid of it. Upon hearing of this resolution, his friends and acquaintances raised a most fearful hubbub, some talk of sending for the police, others of restraining him by force, and others again of putting him into an asylum. But he broke away from them all, and making for the open road, went out to see if he could not rid himself of this abominable strain. Of himself he could not, for the burden was so cunningly strapped on that his hands could not reach it, and there was magic about it, and a spell, but he thought somewhere there must be someone who could tell him how to cast it away. In the very first alehouse he came to, he discovered what is common to such places, namely a batch of politicians, who laughed at him very loudly for not knowing how to get rid of burdens. It is done, they say, by the very simple method of paying one of us to get on top and undo the straps. This, the man said, he would be very willing to do, whereat the politicians, having fought somewhat among themselves for the money, desisted at last in favor of the most vulgar, who climbed to the top of the man's burden and remained there, viewing the landscape and commenting in general terms upon the nature of public affairs. And when the man complained a little, the politician did but cuff him sharply on the side of the head, to teach him better manners. Yet a little further on he met with a scientist who told him in English, Greek, a clear and simple method of getting rid of the burden, and since the man did not seem to understand, he lost his temper and said, Come on, let me do it, and climbed up by the side of the politician. 
Once there, the scientist confessed that the problem was not so easy as he had imagined. But, said he, now that I am here, you may as well carry me, for it will be no great additional weight, and meanwhile I will spend most of my time in trying to set you free. And the third man he met was a philosopher with quiet eyes, a person whose very gestures were profound. Taking by the hand the man, now fevered and despairing, he looked at him with a mixture of comprehension and charity, and he said, My poor fellow, your eyes are very wild and staring and bloodshot. How little you understand the world. Then he smiled gently and said, Will you never learn? And without another word he climbed up on top of the burden and seated himself by the side of the other two. After this the man went mad. The last time I saw him he was wandering down the road with his burden very much increased. He was bearing not only these original three, but some kings and tax-gatherers and schoolmasters, several fortune-tellers, and an old admiral. He was blind, and they were goading him. But as he passed me he smiled and gibbered a little, and told me it was in the nature of things, and went on downward stumbling. This parable, I think, as I reread it, demands a key, lest it prove a stumbling block to the muddle-headed and a perplexity to the foolish. Here, then, is the key. The man is a man. His burden is that burden which men often feel themselves to be bearing as they advance from youth to manhood. The relatives, his mother's sister, cousins, etc., are a man's relatives, and the little weights they add to the burden are the little additional weights a man's relatives commonly add to his burden. The parson represents a parson, and the politician, the philosopher, the scientist, the kings, the tax-gatherers, and the old admiral stand severally for an old admiral, tax-gatherers, politicians, philosophers, scientists, and kings. The politicians who fight for the money represent politicians, and the money they struggle for is the money for which the politicians do ceaselessly jostle and barge one another. The most vulgar, in whose favor the others desisted, represent the most vulgar, who among politicians invariably obtains the largest share of whatever public money is going. The madness of the man in the end stands for the madness which does as a fact often fall upon men late in life if their burdens are sufficiently increased. I trust that with this key the parable will be clear to all. The end of section twenty three.